We'd like to turn our attention to the scriptures today. We have very good texts. If you're reading the Bible, how can you not have a good text? I agree with that. But uh, just, just appropriate texts. Um, Psalm 27, verses 4 through 6 is our Old Testament text. Many of you are familiar with this. We memorized it some years ago. Uh, it's a song, too. If you want me to sing it, I could sing it. But we won't do that. Uh, it expresses the desire of the heart. And oh, may it reverberate within us. Listen here to God's Word. One thing I have asked from the Lord, and that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to meditate in His temple. For in the day of trouble He will conceal me in His tabernacle. In the secret place of His tent He will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me, and I will offer in His tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Amen. And then our epistle reading is from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Now we memorized Ephesians 1, 15 through chapter 2, verse 10, but we didn't memorize this part. When I selected that part to choose, this part was, we could have memorized this, but it's hard. Just uh, all of how the phraseology works together, it's pretty difficult. And uh, we were still in offices that memorized it back at that point in time, and so we, we started at 14. But this, 3 through 14, is foundational, if you'll understand yourself in Christ. Listen here to God's Word. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us to adoption as sons through Christ Jesus to Himself, according to the kind intention or the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to the kind intention which He purposed in Him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of His glory. Amen. <clears throat> and then our main text today where we're preaching from is through Revelation. We'll read Revelation chapter 7 today, the entire chapter, I believe. Uh, it's a wonderful passage of Scripture. It's a passage that's been... Uh, 
misused by some, misunderstood by others. But we'll hear it today and we'll get some things squared away. Listen here to God's Word. John says, After this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, so that no wind could blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God. And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. <coughs> Excuse me. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. From the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 sealed. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, These who are clothed in the white robes, who are they? And where have they come from? I said to him, My Lord, you know. He said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason they are before the throne of God and they serve Him day and night in His temple and He who sits on the throne will spread His tabernacle over them and they will hunger no more nor thirst any more nor will the heat nor will the sun beat down on them nor any heat. For the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to springs of the water of life, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Amen. We'll take just a few moments to bow our heads and silently meditate upon God's Word, which we've read. Gracious God, we're here in a place that's set aside to worship you. We know that you do not dwell here in some kind of uh, spatial sense, but Lord, you you come here and meet with us and minister to us and receive our praise and our adoration. And so we're here with great joy, with great expectation. We ask you now, Lord God, to minister 
by your word to us. Heal us, help us, direct us. Do that work which no one else can do but you alone can do. For Lord, we long for you. We hunger for your truth. So come, speak into us your truth. May we receive it, embrace it. We ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, we need to do some review. Not all of you have been here as consistently as I might have hoped. So we've covered things in the last few weeks that you may or may not have been here for. And even if you were here for all of them, you may not have gotten all that we wanted you to get out of them. So we're going to review a little bit, all right? Fair enough. Let's go back to that scroll or that book that's in the hand of the one on the throne that no one could open. It had seven seals. No one could open it. Uh, This is our review section. The sealed up book is what? Remember, it says, the seals. This book has within it the will and purpose of God throughout history. Uh, That's what's there. And the bad thing, of course, was that no one could open it. No one was worthy to. But the Lamb opens each one. He is worthy. Therefore, He is able to do it. Uh, Do you remember what those are? It starts off with the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Horse number one. uh, It's the white horse. And that white horse conquers. And what's been true throughout history is that there are conquerors. And all that white horse represents are those who are conquerors, from Nebuchadnezzar to Caesar to Donald Trump, from Catherine the Great to Putin, from uh, you name it. But there's conquerors. And the thing that we need to know is that, that they're called forth by the Lamb. Come. Come. So there will always be conquerors. We know that. This is, this is the way it unfolds. What's this next? The red horse is war. Uh, there's never been a time when there haven't been wars. Isn't it amazing? I can remember when I was a kid, I thought, well, once we, we finish this war, we won't have any more. Ha! Huh. They break out all the time. Uh, part of the history of the world, a huge part of it, is war. And God says, you know, I'm sovereign over all that. He says, the Lamb says, come, and the, the red horse comes forth at various times. Then there's the third horse, the black horse. And the black horse is representative of famines and droughts and deprivations. That is, we don't have enough to survive. Now, sometimes that's because of natural disasters. Sometimes that's because of political or power things that go on. But uh, that black horse represents all through history. There are people We've been blessed not to experience that much here, so we don't think of it. But there are people who had droughts, famines, devastations that have come, and deprivations that have uh, been hard to bear. Then the fourth horse, the pale horse, says, with death following, and Hades and hell there, it's death. Sometimes the death is by sword, sometimes by famine, sometimes by pestilence. We're at the moment under this sort of cloud of this respiratory infection from China, right? All the, the world is worried about this, and rightly so. There's 
pestilences that come along. And those things come, come along, and they're not just make you bad and ill and deprive yourself. They take your life sometimes. You end up killed. You end up death. You're, you're not there. So those are the first four seals of this book, of the will and purpose of God. So because they're in this book that's the will and purpose of God, we know that God's not unaware of all this. He's the one who says, come forth and do this. All right, fair enough. The fifth seal that we opened, uh, that we didn't open, the lamb did, but uh, <clears throat> that was the souls of the martyr. Remember that? Uh, they're underneath the altar of God. That is, they're in a safe and secure place. They're there. It's good. And they're clothed with white robes. That is, that's the robe of victory. They've overcome. They're clothed with white robes. And they're crying out for the Lord to bring justice to the earth. We want justice. God says, hold on, hold on, wait. Why? Because there's more people of your brothers who must die like you. It's not done yet. Wait a little while. We think, what? God says, wait, I'm going to have some more of my people killed? He says, yes, exactly right. And today, there will be people who will die for their faith. Will win the martyr's crown. Did you? I don't know if you've read. I have a variety of places I get information from. I don't see Isaac here today, but uh, this week, uh, one of the terrorist groups in uh, northwestern Nigeria released a video of a, a Nigerian Christian who'd been captured, been held for a couple of weeks, and apparently no one was coming forth to give a ransom or anything like that. And so they showed the video of an eight-year-old, about an eight to ten-year-old uh, young person who they had, they called them the lions of, 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 of uh, Muhammad or something like that. And he takes a gun and he shoots him in the back of the head and kills him. Man died for Christ. He could have avoided all that by simply bowing down to Allah and saying that. Well, this past week, I mean, since the last time you and I met here, he died. He's among the number of the martyrs. There are, there's other people who've died this week we could talk about. But so the fifth seal are the martyrs. That's part of God's will and plan and purpose for the earth. We need to understand that. And then the sixth seal we looked at last week, great signs in the heavens and the earth, earthquakes, sun darkened, moon turned different colors, mountains fleeing, falling to the earth in the middle of the sea and all that. And those are all signs representing God's judgment. <clears throat> and we said last week, we say again today, that the day of the Lord happens repeatedly down through history in terms of, of nations. We read, we gave just one example last week, Isaiah chapter 13, which was, it says, behold, the day of the Lord is near. It was, it was the day of the Lord for Babylon. Remember? And God said, I'm going to use the Medes are going to be the hand of the Lord on Babylon. You go back to Isaiah 10, and we're at 13. If you go back to 10, you'll see where God uses the Assyrians as the ones who come down and say, they, they were the, the rod of my anger. And he, he disciplined Israel with the Assyrians. And there were prophets who prophesied that about the day of the Lord. And of course, we said that all points forward to the final great culmination of the day of the Lord, and, but we'll get to that in due time. So those are the seals. And we saw that while it happened repeatedly, that what happens is that people, men, 
and women and young persons and young and old alike, flee from the wrath of the Lamb. That incongruous phrase that we, it's hard to figure out what in the world, it's the wrath of the Lamb. And the Lamb refers to Jesus. And we don't like to think of Him this way, but you cannot read the Scriptures in their entirety and not see that it talks about it right there. The wrath of the Lamb, there's a time when it's over. Could be for an individual, could be for a nation, could be for the world. The wrath of the Lamb. And they were fleeing from that. They didn't want to cry out for repentance and mercy. They fled and said, earth cover us up, those things like that. Now, what's the point? What's the point of all those seals? Uh, you can take that down now if you want to, Herb. Uh, don't put anything up yet. I'll call for it in just a little bit. Here's the point that you need to understand. I need to understand. All those seals have ongoing many different applications down through history. Those are all the things that happen in history. And we need to know that the Lord God and the Lamb are sovereign over all of them. We need to know that. Now, it doesn't mean that we, we, we don't lament what happens. It doesn't mean that we don't cry out for justice. It means that we know that God stands behind all that because it's the Lamb who says, come, come, come. Now, with that, we turn to Revelation chapter 7. And Revelation chapter 7 is a, you, after these first seals that we've opened up or seen opened up, it could be sort of discouraging, right? It's woe, woe, woe means me, right? Well, chapter 7 of Revelation is, is not quite like that at all. So, uh, what's the thing I have up here about Revelation chapter 7? Uh, says that we should remember that the seals show the will and purpose of God throughout history. The Lamb uh, opens each one. Chapter 7 of Revelation is still the sixth seal. All right? It's not a new seal. Even though they put a, you know, the chapter numbers weren't there when, when John wrote this down. There weren't any chapter, there weren't any verse numbers. You receive this. Chapter, what we call chapter 7, is still part of the unfolding of the sixth seal. And it shows a picture of God's favor. Right? It is God's favor. All down through history, God has shown His favor on His people. Uh, it does not show God's wrath. It's not God's wrath. It's the opposite of that. We need to know that such is the case. Uh, it's easy to get distressed and uptight, to cry for justice, and forget that God has mercy and grace, His favor uh, that uh, is there in spite of, in fact, before any of the wrath and distress happens. Now, uh, before any of those six seals occur, we need to go back and review Ephesians 1. So, the first thing that it says, well, let me do this. In, in, in Revelation chapter 7, verse 1 through 3, it says, <clears throat> uh, 
I saw, after this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, so that no wind would blow on the earth or the sea or on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God. And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, all those things we just read about, saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. Uh, so none of those things can happen until the seal of God is affirmed for his people, for those who he's calling for it to be his own. Now, uh, let's go back to Ephesians 1. Uh, what do we find here? Ephesians 1, 4 says, he chose us in him. Ephesians 1, verse 4. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. How do you understand that? That before anything else happened, God said, I know those who are mine, who will be mine, I choose them. He chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. Well, that's good to know. When we were singing about his love today, you know, the love of God, the love of God is the foundation of our life. God loved us. He put his seal upon us. And we can't account for it. You know, uh, I didn't experience regeneration until I was 24 years old. But that had been sealed, had been done before the foundation of the earth. It came place in time, came about in time. <clears throat> what else does it say there? Verse uh, 5, <clears throat> he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention or the good pleasure of his will. If I'd been left to my own druthers, I would have kept going on in sin. Do you know that? And he brought things into my life that, that gave me the conviction of sin. He knew just what to do. I'm thankful for his intervention. He came and he, the pastor's column today talks a little bit about, uh, in the newsletter, talks about the hand of God. The hand of God comes in all the time and just says, here, think about this. Here, experience this. Here, here, know this. <clears throat> he brought the hand of God in my life. And it was the heavy hand of God before I was converted. I said, oh, my goodness. Oh, this is horrible. And then I start seeking for God and I couldn't find him. Didn't answer. He did eventually, of course, obviously. Uh, verse 11 of chapter 1 of Ephesians says what? We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined, predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. Uh, so, now how many times have you prayed or have you talked with God? I've done this numbers of times. I said, God, how come you waited till I was 24 to save me? I hurt a lot of people. I did a lot of wicked things. I, you know, I can still grieve over things I did to people. Why didn't you save me earlier? He's never told me why, <laughs> except that according to my good pleasure, which I make all things work according to the counsel of my good will, I chose to save you when you're 24. Be at rest. 
Be at peace. Lament what you've done, but don't worry, I've taken all that and put it under the blood of Christ. Right? Yeah, hallelujah. I'm clothed in white before him, in the robes of Christ. He still hasn't told me why he waited until he was, I was 24. I had a good friend, Gilbert Brune, I've mentioned his numbers and numbers of times. Uh, he founded the School of Aeronautical Engineering at Purdue University, uh, Illinois farm boy. Great guy. When I, when I was 24, he was like 74. So big difference in age. He was a good faithful Presbyterian all his life and got converted when he was 68. <laughs> and he'll tell us about it. What God used in his life to bring him to conversion. He was a good, you know, Christian guy. Good. He didn't do anything bad. He was good, but he didn't trust Christ. He trusted who he was, what he'd done, what he'd not done. And God used a series of circumstances in his life to say, you need me. And so he was 68. He got converted. Elmer says, why not when I was 28? <laughs> I wouldn't say that. I said, how come 24, right? Because he said, why, why not 28? God says, because it's according to the purpose of mine, which I work all things according to my will. And I do all things well. I left my notes, so I have to get back to my notes. Now, how do we experience this good work of God? It's in verse 13, I believe. You were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Each of us needs to pray every day, all the time. Lord, may your Holy Spirit have free flow in me. We cannot do it. We cannot effect it. The Holy Spirit must do it. Uh, so say, Holy Spirit, come on, work in me, work through me, help me be obedient. Give me, you know, but we, we receive that testimony, it's a down payment, it's there. We'll talk about what that is in just a little bit. I realize I'm supposed to quit in two minutes and I'm only halfway through. So we're going to shift gears, all right? <clears throat> so that's, that's all in verses one through three of uh, chapter seven. <clears throat> that's what that means. Now, verses four through eight, <clears throat> why this 144,000? What in the world is that all about? Uh, the Jehovah Witnesses have it all wrong, just so you know. They think there's only 144,000 that are elected. That's all that's going to be saved. Even though they have more than 144,000 Jehovah Witnesses. <laughs> but that's what they say. That's what they say. They got it all wrong. What is it? This is the big picture. The 12 tribes represent the people of God, of Israel. The 12 tribes. They're full of, they're complete. They're, that is, they're squared. 12 times 12 is what? Do you know your times tables? Michael, what's your times table? 12 times 12 is what? 144. Hallelujah. You guys are good. Jack, did you know 12 times 12 was 144? You did? Way to go. Way to go. Not everyone learns their time tables anymore. Uh, so it's full. And, and, and how much? It's times a thousand. 144,000. Thousand means it's complete. It's all of them. All of God's people are there. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, Psalm 50. Well, I have to live on a thousand and first hill. What about that? Ha, ha, ha. Well, no, the language means it's a thousand hills means all of them, right? Do you understand that? And if you say it's just a thousand hills, you've messed up. 
just so you know. So 144,000 means all the people of God in all their photos, all of all, for all time. 144,000, that's what that stands for, just so you know. Well, what about the names on the tribes? This is a unique listing of the names. There's no other like it in the Bible. Levi is added to this tribe. Well, when there's listings, Levi's there sometimes, but ordinarily he's not because the Levites had no inheritance because they were the priests. Uh, you have Joseph and Manasseh, yet Manasseh is a subset of Joseph, along with Ephraim. And you have Dan that's not included at all. Now, if you've read through your Bible, you're ready to say, what's going on? How come this is the way it is? I have some answers for you, if you're willing to wait. <laughs> Take a minute or two. Number one, why is Levi listed there? Because the sacerdotal priesthood whereby the grace of God is ministered through a, a sacrificial system administered by priests is gone. We believe in the priesthood of all believers. So Levi is right back with all the rest of us and we all have immediate access to God through Christ. Levi is listed with the rest of them. Why Joseph and Manasseh? I don't know. How's that? Just to show that he can do whatever he wants. How come Dan's not there? To show us one of the things that we always will come up with, how come among the 12 disciples, how come there was a Judas? Dan was the tribe when they set up the, the, the calves, you know, on, on, uh, under Jehoram. Dan was the place. Dan's always associated with idolatry, with going away from God. And I think, here's my answer, do whatever you want. Dan's excluded because, to remind us, there will always be those who, who are nominally named part of God's field, but they're not. And in the final accounting, they're not there. We've all had to deal with that, right? People who, who we thought were part of the people of God, and it turns out they're not. Okay? And maybe perhaps Manasseh shows us that some people we thought were not going to be included are in there. Don't know. Just, just saying that that's there. Uh, now then, how do we know that the 144,000 are not just 144,000? Because of verse 9. Her put up verse 9 for us again. We forgot what verse 9 said. Right after this, it says, it says, Behold, a great multitude which no one could count. Now, you can count to 144,000. But that 144,000, again, there's no break in the, in the narrative there, in, in the flow. We add verses and little, there's no break. And behold, there it is, a great multitude which no one can count. That's all the people of God down through history. All the people God dreamed, all the people he sealed on their forehead, as it were. A great multitude. <coughs> Where do they come from? Tribes, tongues, nations, peoples. All around. You dare not be a racist. If you're a racist, in the sense that, well, that nation or that tribe or that person, that tongue's exclusive. Hold on, hold on, not true. Because all nations, there'll be something from all nations there. Go back to the promise of Abraham in Genesis 12, 1, 2, and 3. He says, I'll make you the father of a multitude of nations, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed because of you. What's their status? They, there, have received the promise. Now, we're like those in some way, so 
Do you have Hebrews 11:13 13 there, Herb? Do we have that one? Yeah, listen to this. All these, that Hebrews 11 is that great chapter of faith, all the Old Testament saints, all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Now, the promise there refers to the Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't know who he was. Well, we know who Christ is, we've received that, but we've not received the final promise which is fullness of life, away with all our infirmities, away with all of our things we don't know. We're like them, we want to die in faith. We want to see those things and welcome them, all that God has for us would be from a distance yet. No one's there yet. We're still strangers and exiles on the earth. This is not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven. Uh, now, some applications for us. Oh. You know, you can't fire me till July 1st. <laughs> so I'm free. Hallelujah. I could, I could go on as long as I want. You can walk out, I guess. That's the thing you could do. That'd make me sad. But <laughs> the specter of being fired is no longer there. You don't have that hammer over top of me. <laughs> here, here, here's, here's what we want to make an application for. Look in, in, in Revelation 7:15. It says, uh, I think we have that projected up here somewhere, don't we? Yeah. Uh, well, he who sits on the throne, hallelujah, he sits on the throne. I put the hallelujah in myself. It's an addition to the text. He who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. That's that great multitude that no one can count. He's not constrained by He's going to spread his, his tabernacle over all them. And uh, notice what they receive. They will hunger no more. Thirst no more, the sun will not beat down on them or any heat. He will guide them to the springs of water of life, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. That is this perfect paradise. It's what He promises, it's what they receive. Now, you know. Psalm 27.5, which we read, we memorized, says, in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. And so what Psalm 27.5, David knew and David prophesied and said, this is true. We see again here in Revelation 7. This is what happens. It's a fulfillment of that. Uh, all right, we have to. So, so, therefore, we have what? Uh, what are the effects of being in his tabernacle? We have a slide for that, I think. What are the effects of being in his tabernacle? Threefold effect. Number one, we have comfort. We're comforted in all of our afflictions because we know who, who reigns. We know who's sovereign. We know he has purpose. We know that it's not for naught. We know that it's not, even though it's, it's base and, and, and fearless, uh, that it's not fair, we have comfort because we know God stands behind all that. So he comforts our hearts in the midst of all of our affliction. Number two, we have conviction. The things that we know are true, we're going to stand on. It doesn't matter if you have someone, an eight-year-old behind my head with a gun saying, uh, confess Allah, I cannot do that. I have conviction 
because I've been sealed with the promise, the Holy Spirit of promise. And I, I, there are things I stand for that I cannot and shall not change. Okay, we have conviction because of that. The third thing we have is what? We have confidence. We have confidence that he reigns now. He sits there, he's waiting for the whole earth to become his footstool. And we have confidence that he's going to lead us forward until that day. I like the song that Jim had us sing, the last one there, He Will Hold Me Fast. You know, there's times when, when my love grows cold. Your love ever grow cold? Oh, yeah. And sometimes I get shaken, but you don't want to be moved. I have confidence that he will hold me fast and bring me to his tabernacle and seat me there. Lift me up upon a rock and I'll sing with joy before him for eternity. We can, we've talked before about what joy and singing means, so we won't do that all today. So there's Revelation chapter 7. That's the, that's the, that's the, the, the book, the seal, uh, the sealed up. We've got six of those seals done. We have another seal to go yet. Uh, the seventh seal, which will be interesting. But we need to hold on and know that we have the promise of God. God who cannot lie. He had promised to us, sealed us with the Holy Spirit of promise. That which he had promised to us, particularly before the foundation of the world. Hallelujah. And you say, how can that be? I don't know. I'm not worried. I don't know. We trust him. Thank you for your patience. Amen.